The views and opinions expressed in the following podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the producers, the affiliates, or digital platforms hosting this podcast. All content is for the purposes of education, conjecture, and at times entertainment. We promote inclusiveness and diversity. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Into the Deep with Jay Caster. Welcome to Into the Deep. I'm Jay Costa. Imagine you're a teenager in your bedroom listening to music on the radio. You're listening to some of your favorite songs and favorite artists coming through the speakers. And a band comes on next with a brand new hit single. Just happens to be a band you spent some time with. The music's playing and the vocals start. And there's something oddly familiar about the words that are being sung. In fact, those words are your words verbatim well that's the experience that today's guest had and talks about in her book entitled oh sherry dancing with my soul the journey of the yellow notebook today's guest is sherry de la vie sherry's the author of the book which is based on a true story and Sherry talks about being an American dependent who moved from New Orleans to Frankfurt, West Germany during the Cold War in 1978. She found herself immersed in a whole new world during a pivotal time in history. The book is a spirited, authentic retelling of her experiences and how she perceived them through the lens of her own deep spiritual inner life. As an unidentified empath, Sherry understood inherently from the time she arrived in Frankfurt, Germany, the deep wounds left behind by World War II. So she began to write prolifically to express her feelings and those emotions in a way that made sense to her. That yellow notebook was a compilation of her many creative works that was accidentally left with a specific rock band during one of her surreal adventures, where she found herself in a situation she could not have imagined possible. So, join me as we seek light and journey into the deep with Sherry De La Vie. Enjoy. Well, Sherry, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I truly You're can't welcome. thank you enough. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I really yeah. it. Oh, absolutely. So if you could, if you could share with our listeners and our viewers uh, who you are and what it is you do. Okay. Well, I, first and foremost, I'm a human being. <laughs> Love that. That probably goes without saying, but uh, what I do is I'm an, I do, I'm an author and I also do body work. Um, massage therapy, Reiki, um, spiritual coaching. And that pretty much sums it up. I've been doing that for about, about 20 years now. So I'd like to think I've learned a little bit of something in that time. Um, and I specialize in modalities that are, um, more 
deeply ingrained into getting into the level of the quantum level of the body, basically. So, yeah, myofascial release and craniosacral therapy are two of the modalities that I tend to utilize the most. So, and I'm also, as you know, an author, which is why I'm here. I wrote a book. It's a long time coming. So, yeah. And feel free to ask me questions and be specific because otherwise I might just give you a really quick answer and stop talking. (laughs) You want me to talk. So (laughs) that's okay. No, this is a conversation. So it's great either way. That's awesome. Yeah, you definitely, you know, you talk about, you, you talk about, you know, uh, with your book, you know, your authorship talking about Dancing With My Soul, The Journey of the Yellow Notebook. Isn't that a long name? No, I think it's a great name. You like it? I think it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, it, it conjures up, you know, uh, you know, some visuals anyway, you know, I picture a, a yellow notebook and where it's traveled to and fro. Um, so, yeah, you um, now. Is this a work of fiction or is this a nonfiction writing for those listening? Well, that's an interesting question. It is actually the truth, um, but I had to write it from perspective where I protected everybody's identity. Yeah. Right on. Sometimes you have to change little places or names, places, sometimes every once in a while, maybe a date, but the narrative itself is just the truth. So, right on. This all actually happened. Right on. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so what got you on this trajectory? Um, you know, I, I, I hear you, you were writing from a very young age, um, but just never, never had it in you to necessarily write right off the bat. It yeah. took you some time, huh? Yeah. Um, my mother had me doing flashcards from the time I was probably three to learn my letters because my grandmother was a first grade school teacher. So it just was drilled into me. I remember sitting there in the chair and they're doing the flashcards and I'm like, okay, we're done now. You know, you're three, you don't want to do that. But I actually, you know, language just was a huge part of me. You know, even when I was an infant, my mom said that my Auntie had sent me a box of toys and books, and I crawled over the, the toys to get to the books and started turning the pages. And she was, <clears throat> she said she was just basically shocked. She didn't really understand how an infant could do that. So I think I was probably around nine months or something. But anyway, so yeah, writing is in my soul, I would say. And for the longest time, it was sort of pushed on me, you know, Um, and I probably would have to say that one of the reasons I waited so long to write a book was because of that. Um, And also because, and I do mention this in the book a lot, I I really took it for granted. Um, And it took me a long time to understand that. It was, in fact, a skill and a gift, and that it is something that I needed to utilize. So that's what I'm doing. I think that's great. You know, it's you bring up a great point when you realize a, a skill and a gift at the same time, you know, and sometimes it can be challenging to identify it first early on, you know? Yeah. 
what was that precipice that really got you to realize that it was a gift? Well, the fact that a lot of people used my notebook and made a lot of money, that was kind of a big aha moment. <laughs> I, I'm really quite unassuming about um, my effect on others. And especially when I was younger, the book, you know, goes into when I was 16 and, um, and it covers a great deal of territory, you know, from basically 14 when I moved all the way up to just a few years ago, mm-hmm. basically the present, there's still things that I'm, I'm in an edit to, to add something else, a little something else in there, a little, little golden nugget in there. Um, so anyway, could you just reframe that question for me? Cause I want to, yeah, yeah, sure. What was that? What was that, you know, <clears throat> for you, like, what was that tipping point, that edifice that really got you to, I guess, or what got you on that trajectory? You know, what inspired you to get realized that it was a gift and you brought up a point that like, you know, people using your words, um, you know, and making money off of that. Um, so, but for you to realize that it was a gift, I guess, in addition to some of those things. To realize it was a gift and that it was valuable and that it meant something to others was really quite a long process. I have to say, um, I never dreamt in a million years that my notebook would have inspired these people that I at the time was inspired by. Mm. Um, it just, you know, right over my head, I, I just wouldn't have dreamt it. So for me, it was quite a shock and surprise to uncover all of this that's explained in the book and the narrative. Uh, and, and I really feel like it wasn't just one singular moment. It was quite a few moments because I'm a very deeply spiritual person and I had been doing spiritual work for a very long time when all of this kind of crashed in. And I was like, universe, you know, whatever. So people used my work, were inspired by me. And the universe was like, no. You know, and it kept coming in at me saying, no, you have to look at this. There's no other option. I mean, if I had had another option, believe me, I would have taken it. Because I didn't want to look at it. Didn't want to realize the extent of it the depth of it, um, the breadth of it. And so the universe lovingly and firmly just kept bringing it around and bringing it around to the point where I had to recognize. um, And I say in one of the places in the book, you know, I think is in the preface, I was really backed into a corner Mm -hmm. um, by the universe, by my team of wonderful beings that helped me and um and i just you know it's like at some point you have to stop denying something and say okay well okay this is a gift and a skill and i'm going to go ahead and utilize it because i have no other options because i'm not you know i'm smart enough to know that if i kept resisting it it was just gonna get worse so so i was just like okay i'm gonna do it and um, and I did, and 
I remain extremely grateful to the universe and to all, everything that brought this together for me to be able to do this, to write the book and to tell the truth, because I felt that it was so important and not just for me, but for others. So many people have experienced uh, feeling marginalized or, you know, without getting into specifics, there's so much going on in the world. And what was contained in my yellow notebook was my 16-year-old heart, you know, viewing the world from that standpoint, um, you know, with bewilderment and yet um, some very deep spiritual experiences that I had that are described in the book. And being an empath, growing up in post-World War II, West Germany was, you know, you know, it's like, hey, let's put an empath in the middle of this World War II, you know, West Germany and see what happens, you know, and this is what happened to me. And I'm sure, you know, everyone has their own experience. This was mine. So hopefully that answers the question. Yeah. And, you know, that's, it, it's interesting when you talk about your journey and, you know, your soul's journey, you know, and depending on one's stance on things, if there are things, you know, if people, if you subscribe to soul contracts or things where you put yourself there and you wanted to learn something or if it just happenstance that you ended up in West Germany post World War II. <laughs> it's, uh, it's fascinating. So in your book, you get into some really deep things with uh, as far as what you are letting the, the reader know what you're proposing about your words and how somebody else essentially stole your words and took your words. Um, when you first heard these lyrics through your speakers, what, what was your first reaction? Well, I describe it in the book. I said, you know, it hit there. First of all, there are many different artists that some form, some shape or form of this notebook has come through. And I would like to make clear that I don't believe it was really malicious, uh, although I do believe it was very selfish and self-serving uh, for some people um, in what their actions were. And I'm not judging. I'm just basically saying this is what my observation has been. Um, I think that just people, you know, so let me just answer your question. So this was going on for a long period of time, and it actually continues to this day, which just blows my mind. But anyway, um, <laughs> so the first time that it really kind of like, started to get in but I didn't like follow up on it was what I described in the book where I'm sitting there I think I just broken up with my fiance and I was sitting there and I was going to listen to this album and it was going to be you know you know breakup album you know to the whole thing <laughs> this is a long time ago and um and I I do say in the book I must have slipped into a parallel dimension you know because it was like so personal. Mm. It was not 
you know, and that's the thing. Everybody has their connection to music and everybody feels like their connection to music is personal. But for me, this was like so personal, like so into my psyche. And I was like, what is going on? And um, that was the first kind of, mm, mm, mm. because I have a very strong uh, connection to source. And so I've been very protected throughout this process because if I had learned of like really if all of this had gotten through any sooner to where it was totally fully up in my face like the consciously like oh my god I can't deny this if it happened any sooner than it did um it wouldn't have been serving my highest good and so person its infinite compassion made sure that it happened in a way that was going to be the gentlest on me and sadly even the gentlest way was not so pleasant <laughs> so so that's you know and i think that for me part of it was just recognizing um, what i discuss in the book later which is sort of the dark underbelly of the entertainment and the music industry um, and these artists are like, you know, I describe in the book this beautiful lotus they grow from the uh, shite, you know, and uh, and they bloom, but they're in this environment that's so blatantly toxic. Mm. Uh, and it's very difficult, you know, you everything is magnified by the energy of the music. And I was watching your interview with Ron. I, and um, and he talks about Tesla and energy vibration frequency. And so you have these beautiful artistic souls that go into this and they just want to express, you know, many of them just, that's what they want to do. Some of them, you know, there's a mix of human beings on this planet. I think we all know that. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, all different kinds of people that go into this, but there are true artists. You know, and I do feel that some of these tragically have um, some, well, they, they, they met tragic ends, let's just put it that way. And mm. I questionable, questionable ends, not uh, going too far into that. Um, and I do feel like it's very important to not deify uh, musical artists. And I know you yourself are a musical artist, so... Yeah, you. Yeah, I and, love music. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and you play music. And, um, you know, I was told recently that somebody had gone to an Easter service and they incorporated the Beatles into the Easter service. And, you know, and I thought, well, hmm, I love the Beatles. I mean, I love the Beatles as much as anybody. I really do. It's, they're one of my favorite all-time bands. Thank God, you know, they were all doing their thing before my yellow notebook because I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Um, I keep looking over here because I have two monitors and so I'm, I can see you better on this one and I like to be able to see you. But um, And I can see you here too, but it's just behind the slide. So anyway, and I thought, you know, but it was sort of a, a really firm example for me of how uh, musicians in popular culture and popular culture 
has been deified, you know, and it's, it's like, these are human beings. Mm. And I think I make that very clear in the book. These are human beings. We're all human beings having whatever, you know, some people say having a spiritual experience, however you'd like to look at that. But we each have this innate, you know, connection to our own source and um, musicians are no different. And everybody that listens to music is no different. We all have that connection to source. And when we put people on pedestals and look up to them, they have nowhere to go but down because they're human. They're here to have their experience, whatever that may be. And generally, not all the time, but generally, you know, that includes making some mistakes. And then, you know, when you put somebody on a pedestal and you have to keep them there, you know, it's like, no, they can do no wrong. They can do no wrong. (laughs) That stuff, we're not worthy and all that. And, you know, yes, they can. They're human beings. Does that take away from their ability as an artist? No. Um, Does it add to their ability as an artist to have these deep human experiences? Yes. Uh, But do we want to look across the table at each other on a level playing field and just have compassion for each other? You know, namaste. You know, we're both here. We're we're doing what we're doing in the world. We're experiencing what we're experiencing. And let's just honor each other and not place, you know. And the other thing that happens to people that are on a pedestal is that they're either going to be exalted or deified, or then, you know, they're going to shoot them down, metaphorically speaking. Mm-hmm. Going to try to bring them down because, you know, they made a mistake. Well, you know, that's it. They're this, they're that. Nobody can withstand that kind of pressure. Nobody, especially not people that are constantly in a, an industry that forces this lifestyle that has killed many musicians early because of it. I mean, the list goes on of all these incredible artists that did not last a long time. And that's because the system is flawed, in my humble opinion. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you, you just can't expect that. And they love it. They love it so much that they'll do anything, mm. anything, you know. And for me, that's a choice in the book that I made not to go down that because I was offered a recording contract with a German music producer fell into my lap and um and I thought long and hard I contemplated you know I was in my 20s and I'm like oh god what could possibly happen if I do this <laughs> and I'd seen it close up and personal you know I had seen all the highs all the lows all the drama all the beauty you know, it was all mixed up in this really fascinating package of this band touring. And, uh, and that I know I describe it in the book, but, you know, my answer to myself at that point in time was, well, I could become famous. And that to me would be the worst at that time for me. I knew that was not the best outcome for me at the time. Um, I knew that I wouldn't survive that. So. I opted not to sign the contract. So there you go. You bring up some <clears throat> great points about um, just in, in your words, how um, 
some observers of uh, musicians, artists, and things, they tend to deify. I believe that was the word you had used. And you're right in the way that people put individuals up on a pedestal um, and the amount of pressure that puts on an individual, you know, who most artists and most creatives are using creativity as an outlet anyway, Mm -hmm. um, as a a point of catharsis, some Mm -hmm. as a, a form of therapy. So is it any wonder um, with the lifestyle that, you know, you talk about, you know, like touring, um, you know, there's a lot of different temptations out there around musicians and artists. Is it any wonder that some sadly and tragically meet these, you know, early departures, so to speak? Yeah, it's no wonder to me. Why do you think... Why do you think it's so challenging for us as a society to be able to look at artists and musicians objectively and look at them as human beings? I That's very complex and deep, and I'll see if I can explain my point of view. You know, I'm not saying that I have the absolute right point of view, but my point of view is pretty complex. Um, and I'm better at writing sometimes than sure. I no problem verbalizing but um which is why i filled up all those (laughs) so much anyway um i feel you know if you look at like union psychology um he went into the archetypes you know and joseph campbell and the hero's journey and um Every single human being on this planet, in my belief system, if you like to put it that way, has their own archetypal journey that they're on. And then what happens is these people that get placed in the spotlight, we begin, one begins to identify with them, to connect to the message. Music is a very powerful catalyst. It is a vibration and frequency depending on, you know, there's a lot of different variables there. But, and then you have the words. This is very powerful. It is not something to be taken lightly, in my humble opinion. And what happens is that, You know, if you even watch people's faces, if you've ever watched a YouTube video and people are looking up at the band, because first of all, usually they're higher on stage, which you know, it just is what it is. But they have the courage to be up there in the first place, you know, or the chutzpah or, you know, whatever you want to say. And uh, so they're up there and they're putting themselves up there <clears throat> and the people just have this look of awe. You know, and part of it is because it's representing being able to stand basically in some sort of center in oneself to be able to do that. Um, And so it becomes this sort of, from my perspective, an admiration, and then it builds up to this exaltedness. And the music that can be played over and over and over again becomes this sort of fabric 
interwoven into a person's life. And so then it takes on this personal meaning when it's attached to certain to, you know, events in a person's life. Um, we all know about, oh, that's my song, you know, from 19 whatever or 20,000 whatever. Um, you know, that's my jam. Um, so ultimately, I feel like it is the power that is carried through the music. Because it is, there's, a, there's an inspiration stream that sort of flows for people that are really in the flow. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that all musical artists are, but the ones that are really in the flow, there is something that happens and it's transformative. But then, as you said before, all these things are being projected onto this person. So once they get into the public eye, suddenly everybody's projecting. You know, you can call it shadow nature, unconscious nature, if you look at the collective consciousness and the collective unconscious. And everybody starts to project this onto the person, you know, person X or whatever. And then suddenly all of their highest aspirations are projected onto this person. Everything that they wish they could be or that, you know, stands for something that is important to them. And then all of the shadow aspects or the unconscious aspects are being projected onto these people. And so these people are being hit by a barrage of all this stuff all the time. And, you know, some people, you know, there are ways to cope with it. Part of it, I think, is having a grounded family around a person. But also you have to look at the the development of the personality, the persona, uh, some people call the ego. That is a protective mechanism. But then with all of this stuff being projected on the artist, what I feel happens to them is they, they're either going to sink or swim. And some of them swim long enough and get through it because it's like a, you know, it's like a bell curve, I think, for the most part. It goes up and then there's a little, you know, the tail end. Some people ride that top of that wave for a long time of the fame and then eventually it goes down um the people that aren't able to navigate that kind of intensity which is basically being exemplified by what we're seeing in the world you know everything that's happening right now it's the volume's way up um of course are the ones that end up in some really sad and questionable circumstances, you know, regardless of what the, I mean, there's a, you know, Jimi Hendrix, James Joplin, the list goes on and on and on. So there's plenty of modern examples of that as well. Um, And I also feel that the people that need to be accountable the ones that are the bean counters, you know, counting the money, they're the ones that keep pushing the artists. And that's this, there's some of that in the book too as well. You know, it's like push, 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 you know, and it's like they want money, they want money, they want more money, more money, more money, money, money. And it's like, really? It, you know, where does human value come into this? You know, where does compassion come into this? When do you recognize that this beautiful soul that has 
agreed at some level to be up there uh, for all, you know, you know, basically the ones that are known around the world for a great number of people. Um, at some point, they're losing their cash value because then the record companies are making, they can make just as much as with the artist debt. Yep. And that's where I feel that um, it's really disturbing. It's deeply disturbing. And I don't feel that it's taken seriously enough. And it's funny because, you know, my, my work was used without my permission. And yet I feel very strongly about being an advocate for some of the people that I know used my work that are now no longer here. Because I have a view that encompasses everything that I know they were dealing with, including their own personas, you know, wanting to make their mark in the world. For everyone, it's a different story. But from my perspective, no one deserves to be treated, you know, like a thoroughbred racehorse and run and run and run until they're running to the ground and then they're tired and they need to rest. And then suddenly, oh, well. You know, I mean, really, what happens to these people and who is responsible? I mean, it could be by the artist's own hand and it could be by other means. But it's it's really um, it's it's disturbing. And I feel like it needs to be taken seriously. I feel like it needs to be taken from underneath and pushed up into the light. Because people need to realize that the people that they idolize are dealing with all of this all the time. And then, you know, well, you shouldn't complain because, you know, you're a millionaire, billionaire, whatever the case may be. That doesn't get rid of one's personal problems. It's got zero to do with the way that a person's interacting with their own psyche. I mean, it may do some persona things, but it doesn't get rid of personal problems or issues. In many cases, it probably will magnify them. So there you go. No. <laughs> not very, it's not, you know, I wish that I could say something more lighthearted about it, but I really can't. I think it's important to acknowledge. And I think you bring up a great point. Um, if it's something that serious, then it, it, you know, needs to be discussed openly and for people to see that other perspective that I think they really see on a regular basis. You brought up a great point earlier about, and I'm paraphrasing, but essentially when an artist has then departed and left and transitioned into the afterlife, seemingly their back catalog is now skyrocketed. People now or rediscover the band or musician and now they're worth more to, yeah. you know, the industry, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. And, it, you know, some people, I remember there was a conversation that had come up without sounding too controversial or even, I guess, even conspiratorial. But when it came up about, you know, take an artist like Michael Jackson, who was on the precipice to, he was going to own his all his music, mm-hmm. one last album to finish, mm-hmm. and mysteriously, something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, is that the kind of stuff you're talking about? I would say that would certainly be included. It's included in the kind of stuff mm-hmm. about. Right. So if you wouldn't mind sharing, um, and, you know, obviously I only want you to share what you, you feel comfortable sharing, but, you know, you talk about, you know, some other artists that you, how would you say you inspired or would you feel blatantly stole your lyrics or stole words from you? Well, it's, that's a tough one. You know, I am a person that really does look for the best. Mm -hmm. And it was very challenging for me to entertain the thought or the idea or the concept that some of this was, you know, malicious. Mm-hmm. I describe in the book, once they figured out something's working and it's making money, they're just going to keep doing it. I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty simple. I was looking for all these complex reasons, but I think that was the bottom line. Um so you're asking me how I feel about them or? No, I guess. Do you feel as though you inspired these lyrics or do you feel as though these were blatantly plagiarized from you? Um, I definitely feel that there were. <laughs> there's quite a lot of inspiration going on uh, from what I've discovered. Um I'm laughing just because to me, it's like, I would be the, you know, it was, it was, a, it was like, you know, somebody took me, it was like, boom, you know, Hey, look, what it's like, really? No universe. Really? <laughs> so anyway, that part, yes, definitely felt like there was much inspiration over a wide variety of artists. Um, and then there was a category of people that used it for their own personal gain. And also, I think there was sort of this, uh, yes, definitely directly using my words, for sure, using my specific lyrics um, and describing a specific song that I put in the book. Um, That was, and I, I honestly feel like in some cases, these people were trying to draw me out because I stopped like after that band, I had so many opportunities to meet rock stars. You have no idea. The universe just kept putting them up there for me to meet. And I'm like, uh-uh, no thanks, universe. No, thank you. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Don't need to do that anymore. You know, there's a wide variety of artists where I grew up, you know, in Frankfurt, Germany. Every, you know, the community is is small and tight. And so I knew people that were concerts, and I could have gone backstage at a number of concerts and I would describe some of it in the book and I had of course changed some of the names. Um, but yes, I do feel like my words were used and that's where I take some issue. I mean, we're talking a moral ethical dilemma here. They used my notebook. They made lots of money from it. They read the whole thing. And for whatever reason, some sort of alchemy came together and produced what it did. You know, um, And artists are just people. It's like, you know, if you remember the first time you heard that album, it just like blew your mind and you just became a fan of some band or an artist, you know, and you just fall in love with the music and the tone and the feeling of it. Like in the book, I describe um, Lionheart Kate Bush, you know, 
that's just falling in love with that, you know, that creation. And I never realized that my notebook was, you know, basically the same thing for many of these artists, some of whom were isolated from the world um, by the time they became famous and say this notebook is introduced to them through this one person that I describe in the book was definitely a thread that ran through many, many artists. Um, and he's a lovely human being. He was amazing. But, um, and I don't think that he maliciously did that. I think that he just thought so highly of me, which again, at the time, I never would have entertained that thought. But I think that that's what happened. I was authentically being myself. And that coupled with the notebook and the photo and the boots created this sort of mysterious sort of person. And they connected with me in the same way that I would connect with, you know, this artist when I was, you know, whatever age or developmental stage of my life. And it took me a long time to realize that it works both ways because artists are constantly looking for ways to be inspired Mm -hmm. constantly and not just for their own creative benefits, but also because, you know, once they become bigger artists, there's financial pressures. So there's a lot of different reasons, you know, your question. And did you, yeah. Did you, I guess what's important to note for those listening um, and watching, it's important to note, did you know when, I mean, did you willingly give this notebook? Was it taken from you? Like, how would you describe that whole experience? Well, I feel like I made it pretty clear in the book. Um, It's reading, you know, let me just say this first. I was joking with a friend. I was like, you know what? If I, if I start to date again, I'm going to just make this a prerequisite that whoever has to read the book first. Because there's no way that I'm going to be able to explain all this over a candlelit dinner. You know, it's just not possible. You know, if you really want to understand it mm-hmm. and how it happened and the person I was then and the congruence of this rock band and me at the time, uh, you got to read the book because there's no other way to explain it. But having said that, um, could you just reframe that last question? For me? Yeah, sure. Just, just for those that are watching and listening, just so that we can make a point just for, you know, do you feel as though you willingly gave this book away or do you feel as though, like, did you have, did you know how it was going to be used? You know, all no, time, no, 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 no. I did not know how it was going to be used. No. <laughs> I mean, I would never have dreamt that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting sort of set of circumstances as to how it happened, which I very specifically describe uh, in the book, because I just happened to be at the hotel and I had come from school and I didn't know my locker combination or something. So I had my books and my notebooks with me because they kept inviting me to come back, you know, and I was like, okay, I'll be there. And here I am with my books. Um, so anyway, one of them kept, (laughs) the guitarist kept complaining about how bored he was, you know, all the time. So bored. I'm like, dude, you're a rock star. Get over being bored. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just joking. But anyway, (laughs) 
uh, it's like, you know, come on, you're living the life that so many people dream of. Figure out a reason or a way not to be bored, you know. And I'm sure he had other things on his mind besides, you know, reading a 16-year-old girl's notebook. But what happened was, is I, he was complaining so much and I was standing there with my books and I just basically just tossed it over to him and said, here, read this. And he just like, he, oh, it was so funny. The look on his face was just like, you know, he was baffled basically. Um, he's an amazing guitarist, but anyway, um, and so he opened it and he started reading it. And then I just saw him like, go. I mean, it was so clear to me. And I was like, hmm, well, at least he won't be bored, right? Um, and so I left it with him. And my understanding was that the band was going to be returning in two weeks and that I was going to be invited to spend time with them. So in my heart and mind, I thought I would be getting my notebook back. That's the bottom line. Um, and it was a series of really weird events that ended up with me not getting back. You know, so, and I was 16 and I was, had shared some things with my friends, you know, it's like, here, read this, give it back to me when you're done, you know, that kind of thing, you know, oh, you need more time to read it, we'll keep it for a while and then give it back. That basically was my attitude, mm -hmm. you know, not keep it for all eternity and pass it around to every other artist on the planet. I mean, that was surprising to me. And I felt really a variety of feelings about it. Um, because to me, the bottom line is ethically and morally, when you care about somebody and you have a piece of them, right? It's not like I tried, you know, you call your friend up and say, hey, I really want to see my notebook. I just want to read through it, you know, and get back into that head space or that heart space that I was in at that time. Um, and that's one of the things that really, I found disturbing was that I was being stonewalled because there was a period of time that these people did not know how to find me because I didn't want to be found, you know? Um, so there was sort of a period of time where they didn't, but once they did, it should have been done. In other words, somebody should have stepped forward and said, Hey, you know, this is what happened. And la, 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 la. And, you know, just been up front and a decent human being, you know? You don't even have to be a highly evolved spiritual being. Just be a decent human being, you know? If you profess to have cared about me in some way, shape, or form, then you would care about what has happened to the contents of this book that was really, truly, innocently given by a 16-year-old girl. To people that she thought were kind of the pinnacle at that point in time of, you know, they were my favorite band. And, you know, I really did feel that. Um, so the idea of me inspiring them was like, how could that even be possible? The universe did show me how. So I, now my question's answered. Yeah, it was possible.
So was that pretty clear? Yeah. Did you did you initially feel betrayed or did that betrayal feeling come over time? Was there like, was it first like a fantastic feeling of like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing thing. They're using my words. I've inspired them and then transitioned into this feeling of betrayal. Great question. I felt so many feelings. First of all, just adjustment position. Being an empath, uh, it's much more challenging to be able to process. Because as an empath, I am directly connected to my notebook energetically. No matter how many years, no matter how long it's been, that energy that I put in there and me are one soul signature. And you can look at it metaphorically, spiritually, otherwise. So that was quite a challenge. Uh, empathetically, to have all of that energy, because you remember, I had not put myself out there. I chose not to, but I was being put out there on a level that was not giving me conscious permission. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, 100%. So in being put out there, it was, there was a violation. Uh, and I'm not saying again, that it was all malicious. I think there was a whole host of different reasons why people did this that just blows my mind and gives me such compassion uh, and, you know, deep connection to these artists that I already had a great love for. But there was, yes, many levels of violation, um, awe, bewilderment, um, gratitude, uh, humility, feeling humbled. Uh, so many things I couldn't really verbalize and the, you know, and it's like, you know, when people deal with grief, um, there's a little floating thing right there. So when people deal with grief, they go through a process. And I feel like for me, in many ways, this was almost like going through a grief process and there were a host of feelings and you cycle through, you know, and because I had been doing really deeply spiritual work for many years, you know, thank heaven, I was prepared, but nobody can be prepared to, to do that kind of work on the level that I had to do it. I mean, it's like you can prepare, 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 but once you get, you know, when that happened and it finally all crashed in, it was quite a lot and it took quite a long time to work through. And yes, there was betrayal and there was a lot of feeling very humbled hmm. um, because I can't take credit for anybody else's brilliance in terms of, you know, the ones that were inspired. Uh, I take issue with the ones that used my words and were more, you know, manipulative about it. A little tiny gnat. A little tiny fire, and that's it. Um, 
So I do, I take issue with the ones that use my words because, and I make that point in the book. It's very clear, you know, it's professional courtesy. If somebody has a co-writing credit, you give them correct credit. You know, it's as simple as that. And that was denied to me. And it's not because I want some sort of a claim. It's not about that for me. It's about the really basic bottom line, moral, ethical accountability. You know, if you say you're being accountable and you put yourself out there as a persona that's supposed to be a humanitarian or accountable person, then you need to follow through and be accountable on every level. You cannot build this pyramid of, you know, or pinnacle of uh, whatever any artist may aspire to be, given the artist, based on lies or manipulation or or truths that you have kept buried or hidden because you're afraid. You know, I know that some of these artists are afraid for a multitude of reasons, but I am not going to stop asking them to be accountable. That is what I'm asking. It's like, you know what? You did this, and I'm going to ask you to be accountable. 100% for it. And just the truth. That's really all I ever wanted was the truth. 100% the truth. I love that. It's, do you, and do you feel, do you feel the book is asking them? Is this, is this book putting a spotlight on those individuals? Yes, but not in a way. Um, I very consciously wrote this book in a way to make these people presented as human beings. That's how I encountered them as people, as human beings, you know, having their good days and their bad days, you know, their freaky days or whatever is going on at the time. Um, so it was very deliberate on my part to not demonize anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, that didn't serve the purpose. The purpose was to reclaim my life and to make the truth available in some form and to put it out there in a form where others could find it and read it and understand it and hopefully be inspired by the fact that instead of choosing there, I could have chosen many different roads here, you know, to, to make a point or, but I chose the road that was in alignment with my spiritual truth, the spiritual truth that I am aligned with, you know, with my core, with my heart, with my compassion, with all of the beautiful teachers that I've had in my life and the principles that I hold so dearly, which is just basically love and compassion for people. But that doesn't mean you have to be a doormat. You can still ask, you still ask for accountability. 
You can still ask for people to take responsibility for their actions. You know, you can ask it from a place of kindness, love, compassion. You know, and I'm not going to stop doing that. I'm going to continue to ask for accountability because I know who many of these people are. And I have seen some of them up close and I've even had some encounters with people that I won't go into because it probably wouldn't be appropriate here. But there have been some really strange, I mean, when this kind of thing hits your life, there are some really weird um, things that start to come into your orbit, you know, because when I had to finally deal with it, um, there were a lot of things and people came into my orbit and events. And so, and I'm grateful for everything because it's led me to the point where I am now. And I am so grateful for you as well. Oh, likewise. And George. And George. Props to George. The fabulous George. Love George. <laughs> ah, George. I don't know you, George, but he's I wonderful. Love you. He's a wonderful human being. When you talk about, you know, for our viewers and our listeners, when you're saying, you know, forced to finally have to deal with it, you know, that can seem cryptic to someone. And obviously I know we're being cryptic about certain things. I, yeah, only, I only want, and I'm respecting that. I want you to only share what you feel comfortable sharing. And I want people to read the book. I implore people to read the book. Um, but when you say you were forced to finally have to deal with it, is there something in particular you mean by that? That's a really challenging thing to try to answer. Um, When, okay, I think the best way to explain it is, you know, some people are spiritual people and some people just take it to the possible level, okay? And for that's where I was at in my life. When this, you know, and it was like, I was very centered in my heart space. I was living basically a heart-centered, compassionate existence. Um, and the universe, when, you know, call it God, source, angels, universe, when you get to that space in your life, there comes a point where if you're truly on the path that you have chosen to go as deep as you possibly can on a spiritual level that everything comes back around to you. Mm -hmm. So there was no possible way for me to finish this life without really having processed through this entire situation. In other words, it would have stunted my spiritual growth. And in stunting my spiritual growth, it would have facilitated an untruth that was going on in the world. Um, And as I said before, as I started with, music is very powerful. And that's why I feel that it's important. uh, I'm not trying to shame these people. It's not about that. Um, It's about bringing it into the light and letting it be what it is. Once you bring something into the light, then it just dissipates. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the most important thing. So for me as a person that was on a very specific, deeply spiritual path, 
I could not escape having to deal with this. I couldn't say, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I've had Buddhist teachings, and so I do believe in other lifetimes. Um, it's just something that makes complete sense to me. Mm-hmm. And there's no way I could wait around to another life, you know, to deal with this. Sure. You know, because that would have been way too complex. I had to deal with it here and now, and that's what I did. Um, and again, I really didn't want to write the book, but because of the stonewalling, uh, the universe, you know, the way that it all developed, it was just like into my face. This is the choice. And for me, I had always known that I was going to write a book about my life. I didn't know when, because people would get, you should write a book. You should write a book. <laughs> And then, uh, you know, and then I realized it's like, what do I do? How can I be my authentic self with people with this thing, you know, that has really, it did, it completely affected my life on many different levels. And there was no way that I could not write the book. I had to. Yeah. had to reclaim my life and in so doing ask for accountability from the people involved and let them know that again i'm asking for accountability so there was honestly i would have avoided it if i could have not like I wanted to be out here talking about this, right? But in order to reclaim my own life and also present the truth, and you know, because what they did is they inverted this energy, so the energy that was inverted had to come back out, it had to come back up in a new form. So, basically, you know, that's what I'm participating in now consciously is clearing, healing this thing um the situation that included me because it was my notebook but also included a number of many different people whose lives were deeply affected Mm. and so to heal everyone basically and i'm not taking responsibility for the healing of all these other people i'm taking responsibility for the healing of myself and making the healing available do you see the difference what i'm trying to Mm. say i do It's like, we can do this. We can heal this. Let's, you know, this is my, my sole intention is that. And I have forgiven everyone involved, regardless of if it was, you know, used maliciously or not. You know, which took a lot of doing. I bet. I bet. I tell you, you walk your talk when you deal with something like this and you're a spiritual person. Mm -hmm. And I'm the one that holds me accountable. Right. I can't hide from myself. I have to be accountable to me. And for me, it has to be love, compassion, bring it into the light and heal it. I can align with that. You brought up, absolutely. And you brought up um, something, you know, again, when you talk about asking for accountability, you know, we're talking about, you know, bringing it into the light. Do you feel 
in the book, you articulated enough on who you're talking about specifically, or you say, you know, just for people, I want people to go and check out the book. So do you feel like you're, you're, you're saying this is, this is it. And how many artists would you say? I mean, gosh, for those listening off the top of your head, how many, how many different artists are we talking about here that people would probably know? More than 20. More than 20 artist bands that were somehow related to the Yellow Notebook. Yeah. I mean, you know, but it is what it is. I had to accept it. I had to just come to terms with it, accept it, and have compassion for the people, for example, that are no longer here. Right. Um, Truly, so much compassion. Um, I mean, these people gave their lives, in essence, to being public figures, to uplift in some way, shape, or form, to help heal humanity and those broken, quote-unquote, broken souls out there that needed inspiration so how can i you know i can't not understand that and i don't take issue with them using what i did for inspiration um i still would have liked to have been told and asked and acknowledged not necessarily publicly just private person to person you know um because that's just the way that things from my perspective should be done need to be done um but a lot of people there's a lot of people and some of them i've actually met the family members totally in a very strange series of things i met uh, family members of some people very huge artists that are no longer with us um so like i said i've had just this really interesting string of very strange events like happen they seem like happenstance but really they were directed by some something right you know you just don't run into these people like randomly right for no reason it just doesn't happen you know especially where i was and what i was doing and what i'm trying to talk about cryptically um but it was um a deeply healing experience to meet the family members of um, this particular artist that I'm thinking of. Um, and also their responses to me were very different. Like, like I describe in the book, the last artist that I describe, if you may or may not remember, I'm not sure. I don't know if you did the Cliff Notes version of the book or if you actually got to read the whole thing through because I know you're very busy. Um, but the last artist, they all have a very unique way of relating to me the ones that know me i mean it it was so crystal clear to me there was just like it was at the time sort of mind-blowing even though i knew it when you see somebody that's that terrified because you're in their presence for regardless of what their reasons are, maybe they signed a non-disclosure agreement 
and they're terrified of the consequences of they're not supposed to talk to me or interact with me. That's a possibility. I'm not saying that's the truth. I don't know for certain. I do know that their reactions to me were off the charts in terms of alarm and fear. And then this really kind of a fascination too, which, you know, and they're fighting their fear and they're like, you know, fascinated because I mean, it was obvious to me. Um, thank goodness I took a lot of training in the human sciences. I'm able to really pick up on these things now that when I was 16, I was good at, but I didn't have a language for, and now I do. So body language speaks volumes, you know, and when somebody jumps in the air and flails their arms and their eyes go like this, because they just figured out who you are, you can pretty much like be certain that um, they're having a moment. Um, Yeah. So, and again, I don't want to shame these people. I'm not trying to shame these people. I feel that many of these people are, are caught up in the construct of a construct of an industry and the way things are done are so disturbing in this industry with these non-disclosure agreements. It's like, you know, let's just tell the truth about things and let the truth be out there. You know, the world is filled with so much right now. And I feel personally what we need is a big dose of truth. Hmm. You know, just let it come up. You know, let it rise up. Let the truth be known. And let's all just get on with our lives and be the best human beings we can be, whatever that is for each one of us. I don't decide that for anyone else. I don't do my best to decide it for me. You know? I love that. <laughs> it's so true. Oh. So if folks are wanting to look for this book, and the book we're talking about is Dancing With My Soul, The Journey of the Yellow Notebook. Where can folks find it? Um, it's on Amazon. I put it out on Amazon. I sort of slipped it over there during the deep quarantine part of the pandemic. And I didn't feel comfortable like trying to do any kind of marketing or anything at that point. It's just like, I just need to just put this over there and let people who find it, read it, or people that know me that want to read it, read it and just get some feedback and uh and that's happened and so now it's actually in an edit for a second edition where i'm going to add a few little tidbits there and um and so copy edit too and so it's on amazon now and then i have a facebook page that's basically devoted to the book um and an instagram account and i have to say i'm really not all over social media lots i don't do a lot of posting I'm trying to do more of that. I'm trying, I'm going to be trying to make myself more available to people who would like to reach out to me for like the spiritual coaching aspect of what I do. Um, but as for the book, yes, it's on Amazon and I can give you a link to that that you can put in the description box below. Awesome. In closing, is there anything, any, any last things you'd like to share with our listeners and our viewers? Be true to yourself. Authentically true to yourself, love yourself, be compassionate with yourself. From my personal experience, that's the only way to grow as a human being. Kindness, love, compassion. And as you do those things with yourself, it just 
organically grows and spreads out to all areas of your life. And let me just take this opportunity again to say thank you to you and George. Absolutely. Really do appreciate you having me on the show. I appreciate so much um, basically this entire experience today. I really do. And I love watching your show um, because I've watched a few now. And yeah, and I really love the way that you're able to connect with people um, and stay in a very sort of centered space about everything, you know, and then also being able to sort of flow with it. I've really, I've observed that and felt that connection. And um, I think we need more voices like yours out there. Oh, I appreciate that. And so having, yeah, having your voice out there also is a wonderful thing. So I appreciate you putting your voice out there for people and for me. And there you have it. I can't thank Sherry enough for sharing so many personal stories and personal moments with us today. We talked about so many different things in that episode. We talked about that yellow notebook that she accidentally left behind with an unmentioned band, but For those who read the book would 100% surely know if you know your music history. We talked about how that book is the story that describes her, that 16-year-old girl that carried that message of hope and faith in her heart. And we got to discover that person that she was and still is. Be sure to check out the links in the description below and find her book, Oh Sherry, Dancing With My Soul, The Journey of the Yellow Notebook. You can also find Sherry on Facebook, as well as on Instagram at C.A. De La Vie. And that's C-A-D-E-L-A-V-I-E. Thank you all so much for listening. George and I can't thank you all enough for the love and support you've shown us since the inception of this podcast. We have our Patreon channel where we have more content, exclusive offerings, and even more to check out. So be sure to check out our Patreon page and If you're watching this podcast, please hit that like button. We hope you're subscribed to the channel and hit that notification bell so you can find out about new episodes. You can find us on Instagram at itd.jcosta as well as on Twitter at itd underscore jcosta. Thank you all so much. Until next time, take care of one another and keep thinking for yourself. 